Hi, everyone, and uh, welcome to the first episode of the Give Back Chit Chat. I'm Mars Chisholm, and I have worked as an educator, media developer, instructional designer, and content writer for about 20 years, and wanted to create a video podcast series as an open educational resource uh, where educated professionals can showcase their expertise and act as thought leaders and grow skills and expand ideas or gain exposure to different ways of thinking and knowing. So to kick things off, we have an amazing first guest, um, Shelly. Hi, Shelly. Welcome. Hi, Maris. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So Shelly is the founder and owner of Shelly Qualitary and Associates Counseling and Coaching. And uh, she has a mission focused on providing people with bite-sized chunks, practical strategies to develop, grow coping mechanisms, applied skills, and understand where behaviors come from. So that's such important work. And uh, uh, just to further uh, give information on Shelly's background, she's been supporting people for over 30 years and has a vast knowledge in areas and understanding of suicide, awareness, stress, vicarious trauma, emotional regulation, anxiety and depression, anger, healthy relationships, and adverse childhood experiences. Um, so a lot there. Um, she's made her focus to help people become more connected, supported, and inspired, and is a reg registered social worker who holds a master's degree in investigations management, is a consultant trainer with the Center for uh, Suicide Prevention, which is the Buddy Up campaign. I've heard of that. And uh, facilities training for Crisis Trauma Resource Institute, Achieve Center for Leadership, and Workplace Performance. That, that's amazing, Shelley. So welcome and so good to have you on the Give Back Chit Chat today. Thank you. And so today I wanted to ask you your thoughts on safe work culture and what does that mean? And how can each one of us help to make uh, work culture safe? Yeah, that is an amazing question, if you don't mind. And so I will just read my land acknowledgement because I don't have it all memorized. Yeah. I would like to take the opportunity to acknowledge the traditional territories of the Indigenous people of the Treaty 6 region and the Métis Settlements and Métis Nation of Alberta, regions 2, 3, and 4. We respect the histories, languages, and cultures of the First Nation, Métis, Inuit, and First Peoples of Canada, whose presence continues to enrich our communities. So thank you for letting me start with that. Um, so talking all things mental health and all things mental wellness and work culture, um, I think is so important because we know the last few years with COVID, mental health and mental illness has started to become a little bit more easy to talk about, um, but what is the difference between mental illness and mental health? Because these terms are used interchangeably. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And, and you don't really think of those things sometimes um, as being different, but they, you know, obviously when you bring it up as a question, they are. Yeah, they are. And and we use them interchangeably all the time, right? Like um, we might say my mental health is struggling or I have a mental illness or I have a diagnosis, but people get really confused about it sometimes. Mm -hmm. So let's just talk about it. Okay. Mental illness actually refers to a clinical diagnosis, mm -hmm. something that has been um, 
you know, given to you by a psychiatrist or maybe even a family doctor if they're trained in mental health. And oftentimes with mental illness, this is a place or space where we may need medication and able to cope and able to manage. So mental illnesses are things like schizophrenia, bipolar, major depression, uh, significant or major anxiety diagnoses. OCD, yeah. a whole bunch of mental illness diagnosis, but not everyone has a mental illness. So let's talk about mental health because this is where the big difference is, is every single one of us as humans have mental health because mental health refers actually to our emotional state of being. Right. And it is about our healthy emotional, mental functioning. Right. Just like our, just like our physical health, like our mental health, like taking care of our bodies and then mental, mental health, taking care of our, our brains. Exactly. So when we think about the difference between health and illness, not all of us have diabetes, right? Those people who still have diabetes still have physical health in other components, right? Yeah. Makes sense may have an illness, still have mental health. So this is where we might hear people talking about feeling stressed or overwhelmed or, but they don't have a clinical diagnosis as an illness. So I think it's important for people to, to be able to differentiate right now. I'm struggling right. with mental health or I'm really, you know, my mental illness is really um, causing a lot of challenges for me. Right. right Sometimes differentiating between the terminology there can kind of build literacy in those areas for sure. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Okay, so I'll just restate uh, that other question I asked Thank there you. previously um, um, before the land acknowledgement. So um, I wanted to hear your thoughts on safe work culture and what does that mean and how can we all help to make work culture safe? Mm-hmm. Great question. So when we think about safe work, work culture, we want to feel included. Mm -hmm. Lots of times what can happen is if there is a person that we view or see as toxic or challenging or problematic or not pulling their weight, we can unintentionally maybe start to exclude that person in the day-to-day -day activities, off of emails and those sorts of things which can start to create and build some of that toxic work culture um, and some of that those challenges around understanding what's actually going on for the people that we are working with so understanding first and foremost that all of us as individuals can have a lot of different complexities going on mm -hmm. in our lives and behind the scenes and I've worked with lots of people who said, I know my staff so well, we've got great connection, we have such you know, great um, team, but you still don't know everything that is going on behind the scenes for people. So I talk about when we are coming into the workplaces, not only that inclusion piece of it, but coming into it with curiosity. Mm -hmm. And what, do, what does that exactly mean in terms of, uh, um, you know, uh, being curious and, and why is that important? Yeah. So curiosity is really around trying to step out of our judgment 
mm-hmm. and put on curiosity because curiosity creates wonder. Um, it creates interest. It creates a place of how do I get more and come into this relationship, whether it's with a colleague or, you know, um, peers with more understanding and interest because if we walk in, I call it our judgment hat and our curiosity hat. As soon as we walk in with our judgment, it creates barriers and blocks and more discounted conversations, more discouraged and defensive conversations. Right. Like even, yeah, I was just going to say like that, that's kind of what you're saying about judgment uh, might even be about stereotypes or preconceived notions like that type of thing, um, you know, around judgment and, uh, um, curiosity is around, um, I talk about taking yourself back to those times when you were a little kid. Like, I wonder, tell me more. Why, why, why we need to be cautious of how we ask the why, but when we're in that place of wonder, it's very hard for someone to think of us as being judgmental or defensive when we're coming into a conversation with somebody and saying, you know, I've been seeing that your projects aren't getting done on time. We've been running a little bit late. You've had a few more sick days. I'm worried about you. I'm curious if there's anything I can do to help. I wonder what is happening for you at the moment and if there's anything that you need. Because if we come into that same conversation saying, you've been late, your projects aren't done on time, Mm -hmm. and you're really slacking, now you're pulling the team down and you need to do better. Yeah, that that sounds a lot different. (laughs) Yeah, really different. Yeah, and like you can get people's backs up like I you know, and uh, maybe make it worse for them, like uh, somehow without uh, building any empathy at all. And like, that's kind of what you mean by coming in it uh, into a situation with empathy and curiosity, rather than just judging out of the gates, like, this person is being a lazy, you know, a lazy person and blah, 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 they don't work as hard as I work kind of thing. Yeah. And I like to use the example that how many of us, whether we're struggling with mental health or, or mental illness, get up in the morning and think, you know what, I'm going to go to work today and try and be as unproductive as I can and try and poke everybody so that I inflame things and so that I can just be the one that people are um, irritated with, or that people are not wanting to connect with, or I'm going to do everything I can to try and be an annoyance. Right. As, as irritating as possible to people. (laughs) Yes. I don't know anyone who wakes up in the morning and says, that's how I'm going to go to work. There is something happening and going on for these individuals. And when people are showing up, um, you know, angry, testy, frustrated, irritable. Anger is actually a secondary emotion. It's not Mm -hmm. a primary emotion. Anger is the bodyguard to sadness and the protector of fear. So Mm -hmm. maybe they've been doing so much to try and cover up like what's going on in their personal situation or just like flying just enough under the radar so that we're not really noticing that things are going on, that they're just meeting the bar of getting their projects and the work and that sort of stuff in so that so that they're not 
kind of in that place of being noticed. But when we do approach them and have the conversation, their anger flares up and anger looks different for everybody, right? It could be walking away. It could be passive aggressive. It could be bursting into tears. It could be yelling um, that we don't ever actually know all the details of what's going on. And so when someone is getting their back up, right, prickly, Mm -hmm. bring yourself to a place of being curious and wondering, is there something around sadness or fear going on? Mm-hmm. We've just been doing some layoffs or I know that they're going through a separation or, you know, what else is happening? Because lots of times things become inflamed because of miscommunication, mm-hmm. misinterpretation of words or actions. Right. And just really stepping into a place of our own, our own perception and our own judgment rather than that curious, wondering um, lens and, and thinking a little bit about what's going on for that person. Right. Is their reaction actually about me or is it more about them? Right. And trying to automatically as a reaction, put yourself in the other person's shoes first, rather than, um, just reacting and feeling defensive, which I think is easy to do, you know, where you're going about your day da, 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 and then someone comes up to you and, and, and it's kind of a bit of an offside reaction um, instead of feeling, well, that person's being a jerk today. It's, it's more catching yourself to think, well, they must have some things going on and, and you're shifting the uh, sort of reaction a little bit um, as a first kind of uh, reaction. So that, that's such an important point. I know I've, I'm guilty of that. And uh what a what a good reminder, like almost like a, a mantra of the day that uh, that you can go into your day trying to commit to doing that, um, to build safe cultures like that's a, a thing we can all do. Yeah. And really, really easy to mm-hmm. to implement right away. Right. And you can do it yeah. in your personal lives as well. Like, why are they being so short or snappy? What's going on behind the scenes for them, even if it's my partner or my kids or my parent or, you know, my neighbor? Mm-hmm. The other piece that, you know, in building that safe culture and building that connection and communication, because really relationships and trust and safe workplaces are built on relationships. Mm-hmm. So no matter what level we're at, you know, CEO to front, you know, front line, it's built on relationships and relationships are built on trust and that takes time. But if, and we're coming in with judgment, that makes it really hard to build that trust in those relationships. So another thing that we could do is if I'm having a bad day, cause we've all had them, mm-hmm. we've all struggled with, you know, something at some point and actually one in five individuals struggles with mental health at some point in their life. So if you have 20 people on your team, it's likely four people are struggling right now. That would be very common. So remembering that, but also thinking about if I'm that one in four, I mean, sorry, one in Mm -hmm. five right now, um, what would I like for someone to say to me and how they approached me? What would be a nice thing for them to say or do or acknowledge? What would I, what would you not want somebody to do or say or how to treat you? Because sometimes when we can think a little bit about that for ourselves as well, that might help us start the conversation with somebody else. And like, I know I wouldn't want to be approached immediately with, 
where is all the work? Where right. is, you know, you've missed the last week and now you're so far behind and now, right? Right. And, and like, even say if you're uh, the person going through a mental health challenge at the moment, sometimes you might feel uncomfortable admitting it, like in terms of, hey, I'm going through a really bad period right now of depression, like, you know, where you're used to kind of putting on your brave face and trying to be happy to everybody. And so then it kind of, in a way, sets up the team to think, oh, she's fine. She's happy all the time. And uh, and because it's hard, I think, when you're going through that kind of stuff to be like, hey, um, I'm feeling depressed right now um, because you do might you might get worried that people are are interpreting it as an excuse or um, something along those way, those lines. And that's kind of, I think, the stigma of that balance of of communicating where you're at and then people on your team trying to kind of um, have a first response of, of non-judgment and empathy. And so that's kind of the back and forth, hey? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. When we are thinking about how we connect and engage, there's, you know, there's so many different layers. Yeah. And it's so complicated. And, and I'm sure you as a professional uh, get called in to kind of untangle some of those webs a little bit and build skills with people to um, help simplify things or um, to help overcome some of those challenges. Yeah, absolutely. And when we're trying to step into that role of being that support person and like, mm -hmm. you know being curious, open-ended questions are really helpful. And some people might be saying like, Shelly, what is an open-ended question exactly? <laughs> right. So closed questions are when we're getting yes and no answers from people. And mm -hmm. we're just getting, you know, that yes response or that no response. Open-ended questions are when we're getting content and conversation with people because we're going to find out so much more about what's happening for them and, and what's going on. So when we're wanting to be a support, to somebody first, you know, creating a supportive environment to have the conversation in. Maybe it's about going for, you know, a coffee and having a chit chat with them while you go mm -hmm. for a walk. It's easier to have those conversations. Um, and, and, you know, when I'm working with leaders and when I'm working with companies and when I'm doing training, I say, does the hard conversation actually need to be hard or can it be like this, a chit chat? Yeah. We yeah. go and we say, I'm worried. I've been noticing whether that's work or, or mm -hmm. personal stuff. So creating an environment that feels supportive, a culture that feels supportive, that we know Shelly's not going to go out and talk to Maris as soon as the door is closed about what she's heard from, you know, right. staff member mm -hmm. um, and that we can build that relationship and that trust and creating that support, but having some resources on hand as well. Um, you know, a great resource for people is actually just 211. Oh, really? Is a community resource where you can call and get all of the resources that you might need. Yeah. Um, this could be someone who's at work saying, I'm dealing with my aging parent and I don't know how to find X for them. Where do I go? Well, we could spend, as we know, hours doing Google searches. Right. <laughs> or we could start with 211 and just say, this is what I'm needing, this is what I'm looking for, and they can connect us. They're basically the yellow pages. Oh, wow. Old enough to remember the yellow pages. 
for sure. Well, that's neat because I, I actually never really realized that, that you can phone 211 for health resources. So say, um, you know, you're a single mother and you're you're struggling with uh, helping to find childcare or something like that. Like those types of things can cause like major stress and you feel like sometimes you're alone and you just don't have the energy to like, oh, where on earth would I find this? So that, yeah. that's a, that's a great pointer. Yeah, cool. It's a great it's a great resource, right? Because most of us know eight one one that we call eight one one to get our assessment yeah. from the nurse, and then they usually tell us to head off to the hospital or wait twenty four hours and then call again. <laughs> mm-hmm. But two one one is an amazing resource. They also actually, if you put two one one into Google, their yeah. entire manual will come up as well. So you don't even have to call if you don't want to, and you can filter through that way. Well, that's awesome, Shelly. I, I learned something new today, and now I'm going to try to think of a reason to call 211 because I want to try it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. And, and so that kind of brings us to, to maybe a, a, a difficult conversation point that um, how do we talk to someone or support someone at work or home in mental distress or duress that may you may suspect being suicidal? Like what are some best approaches or active listening? Like, um, could I call 211 for something like that? And uh, as a professional, what do you recommend are some approaches or um, skills that we can apply there to those types of conversations? Yeah, absolutely. And this is something that is really, um, really important to remember because Lots of times we might be worried or concerned about someone and we might, uh, you know, say to them in that open conversation, that chat mm-hmm. that we're having, and they might disclose that they really are struggling with really low mood or maybe they are thinking about suicide. Mm-hmm. And that feels really scary to us, to the person mm-hmm. who might be hearing that. But to the person that is sharing that with us, we clearly have built an amazing trust with this person that they feel open enough to share that with us. So don't panic. Yeah. Don't be fearful around that because there is help and there is support around that. Even if you're in the midst of that conversation and you don't have any suicide training, you're not a therapist, Mm -hmm. you can call the distress center, Mm -hmm. um, which actually 211, is also linked to the distress center so they could link you there if you can't remember or you don't have a phone you know that your dad is working or whatever Mm -hmm. you could call the distress center there's also 1-800-SUICIDE and they will talk you through it they will walk you through it with that person but the other thing to remember is that the vast majority of people who are thinking about suicide we will hear them say as we're talking with them or we ask them our questions, I don't really want to die, but I can't live like this anymore. Mm -hmm. This feels hard. And that's where just that listening comes in and asking those wondering, curious questions, but also letting them know, I've noticed some changes. Maybe that's in your behavior. Maybe that's in your mood. Maybe that's in things that you're saying, like no one's going to notice or somebody else will look after that project, right? Right. And so when we're talking with someone who might be disclosing some of these really hard, tricky things, um, we don't need to rush off to hospital right away. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. Hospital, even for someone who's thinking about suicide, is for someone in crisis, who is actually got a solid plan, who doesn't want to talk about safety, who doesn't want to call the helplines, who may already be, you know, in the process or yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And so for those of us just um, talking and listening with someone who has significant, you know, mental health challenges, mental illness is a little different depending on what's going on for them. Um, actually listening and talking about it is one of the most protective things that we can do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that person will say at the end of that conversation, I just feel so much better now. Mm -hmm. We still might want to build a bit of like a safety plan and pull somebody else in that maybe they live with or like just to build that little next layer of support. Because even if they have the hugest family, the best network, they still feel totally alone. Right. And uh, and the value of what you're seeing there is just how much power uh, being seen and being heard has on someone that's in that kind of mental state and kind of, you know, communicating how, uh, you know, how we feel is generally not consistent, like it's a temporary feeling, it'll go away. And, um, but in that moment to be heard and seen by a trusted colleague or friend can mean the world. Yeah. And, and asking them, like, really important questions, not just about how they're feeling and sort of mm -hmm. the scenario and the situation around that, but what do you need from me? How can I be a resource? How can I be helpful to you? Is it okay that I check in on you again? Mm -hmm. You know, can I do anything for you? Like bring you a meal or help you set up a doctor's appointment or, you know, take you home so you can share this with your, your partner or call them to come into the office so we can sit down together and, and I can be that support for you as well. Most times, many times, people will really know what they want, what they need and how they need to get support. Um, and, and very often people get to that place because of stuff that has already happened. Mm -hmm. Death of the parent, loss of a job, empty nesting, you know, self-harm, I'm sorry, suicide and um, mental health mm -hmm. really fluctuate like you said, yeah. depending on, on what's happening for individuals and it doesn't last forever, but we do need to have those conversations and figure out how we can support with our curiosity. Right. And yeah. And as you mentioned, your kind of open-ended question approach, or um, I noticed in your last response there, how you give examples, like say, for instance, you're talking to somebody that's suicidal and you ask, well, what do you need from me? Maybe at that moment they don't exactly know, but um, I noticed you were giving examples on maybe I can bring you some food or maybe I can go with you to the doctor. Like you're giving them specific examples that may help to kind of um, get them talking about what they really need and also to what you're really willing to offer, how far you're willing to go. Because sometimes, you know, that uh, empty offer where it's like, well, what can I do? You, you know, it's kind of like that. Hi, how are you? When really the only response that's suitable is, oh, I'm fine. Yes. You, you know? Yeah. And it's curious and interesting for me as well to 
watch people when somebody says, I'm, I'm actually not good. Mm-hmm. Things are actually not great. Because what do we do when we're the one that is receiving that information is we tend to back away and we're like, oh gosh, either right. I don't want to be involved or I don't know what to do. Right. Um, so I always say to people, don't ask if you can't right. step in if they need it. That's so true, you know, and like, even if you're busy at the time and a colleague said that to you, you could say, hey, I got a couple meetings like going on this morning, but do you want to go for a coffee and talk about it? Um, Because I'd love to schedule you in. And uh, so that that's, uh, again, I think such an important um, concept to kind of don't ask if you don't want to know the answer (laughs) for sure. But uh, yeah. yeah, I had, uh, let's see, I think oh, go ahead. one last um, question. I know that we don't want to um, have the chit chat going on too long, um, and, but I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate learning these, um, you know, practical and applied skills to talk to somebody and, and to kind of help support, uh, you know, uh safe psychological safety in the workplace like it's uh uh, sometimes you hear those words being thrown around but you don't exactly know what to do or how to contribute to make things better there so my last question being of course being empathetic to people's mental states is important but so is taking care of yourself too so if you're being a good supportive colleague how can we also protect ourselves um, from uh, toxic people or um, people in the workplace that are currently going through mental challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that goes back to just even what a moment ago, what we were chatting mm-hmm. a little bit about is one, don't ask if you can't right. engage or connect in those moments with those people. Know what is going on for you because maybe mm-hmm. we are struggling with our own mental health stuff. Maybe we are struggling with our own, um, you know, things that are going on at home. So being really aware about what's happening for you um, Mm -hmm. in that space and place, but also being able to understand that sometimes when people are struggling, um, they show up in maybe more, as I said, those angry, testy ways. And I always say, like, when I'm working with, with, with um, companies, when I'm supporting people, I will say, why do you think you're so special that their <laughs> anger, frustration, lack of, you know, getting the job done is anything to do with you? Mm-hmm. Actually, you're probably the last person that they have on their mind, but you're the lucky person that they are taking things right maybe that means they do have a little bit more trust and hope Mm -hmm. that you're going to ask them hard questions um people don't show up like i said as i'm going to have like the worst day at work i want to try and make everything (laughs) miserable they just are so involved in their own lives of what's going on, because we also often don't know what's going on at work, right? Like if they're right. performance planning, if they are at risk of losing a job, you know, we, we actually don't know all right. of that really intimately um, as, as colleagues or even sometimes as managers, right? Depending mm-hmm. on what's happening for them. And so it actually has nothing to do with you. So right. just put yourself in the place of when you've showed up at work one day, 
being maybe grumpy or testy and a little bit like snarky with a colleague right. or just wanting to close your office door and you know people are like oh gosh you know Shelly's been like that for the last week you know what's right. going on with her then we throw on our judgment hat then we start all of these rumors and this drama that actually doesn't need to be there that's going to increase that challenge of mental health that is going to create more toxic relationships and work culture than being clear and kind right and coming in and just saying this is what i've seen this is what i've noticed and you know what i think as a bit of a side note there are just some people who don't like their jobs and right a performance issue not necessarily a person issue because maybe each of us can also think of a person who like actually did a terrible job. They were terrible performers, right. they were really great humans. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. So it's a complex issue, but my takeaway, Shelly, today is to um, try to work on my empathy for sure. And not when I feel like somebody's being grumpy at me, I'm going to try to shift my mindset to, to an empathetic lens of, I wonder what's going on for this person. And instead of getting my back up. So I, you know, I think that that's uh, a great takeaway in this short uh, um, little give back chit chat that uh, I really appreciate. So, um, and I hope that the folks watching this uh, enjoyed our chat and uh, had some takeaways as well. I'll make sure to include um, Shelly's uh, website at the end of um, this session here. So please jot it down. And uh, Shelly, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your expertise and uh, with our chit chat and building some of these practical and applied skills. It's uh, such an important aspect of transforming work cultures and, uh, and safe work cultures. So I, I genuinely appreciate your time. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you.